I will speak to you in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. This weekend, I made one of my many mad dashes up to Kentucky, this time to see my grandmother, who is turning 90 years years old this morning. I know many of you have heard me talk about my grandmother quite often, and you may remember meeting her in person when she came down to Jacksonville for Christmas about four or five years ago. That was a very special year for me as my grandmother, or as I like to call her, my mamaw, has always been one of the biggest inspirations in my life and certainly in my faith since I was a child. Being raised by parents who were barely 18 when I came into this world and not really adults themselves, I grew up spending almost every single weekend for the first 10 years of my life with one set of grandparents or the other. And that means I grew up going to church every single Sunday either at the Poplar Grove Baptist Church or the First Pentecostal Church of Barberville, Kentucky. My mamma still doesn't quite understand all the pomp, ceremony, and fancy dress we have here in the Episcopal Church, but I think she would tell you that she's quite proud to have a grandson serving the Lord and doing his part to build up at least one little tiny section of the Christian Church. And this weekend is her birthday weekend, and since she is getting weaker and weaker and has already faced a few close calls that have nearly, as she likes to say, taken her home to be with the Lord, I felt it was well worth getting on a plane at 8 a.m. Friday morning and flying up to see her, even if it was only going to be for a few hours. She certainly deserves it. After all that she has done for me and for my entire family, for my 46 years upon this earth. And while I was with her late into the evening on Friday, she did what she really likes to do most these days, and that is talk a whole lot about her past and all the things she's tried to accomplish over her amazing 90 years. She always tells me stories about her mother, my great-grandmother who lived until she was 93 and who I was blessed with growing up with, all the way into my early teenage years. My mama always talks about my grandfather too, who died three years ago, and about a variety of other people in her family memories, but she talks the most about her dear mother and the many hard things her mother had to do to raise all of her children in absolute abject poverty in the central Appalachian Mountains of Eastern Kentucky in the 1930s. One of the stories I think she's probably told me about a thousand times over the last few years is the story of how she used to help her mother plant corn and potatoes, which she always points out was about all they had to eat back in those days. She begins by talking about how her daddy would turn the soil in their tiny little garden with a hand-pushed plow, with her mother following behind her with a hoe, digging small holes in the fresh earth for the precious seeds for growing one row of corn and one row of potatoes. Walking behind her mother was my sweet mamma, as she explains it, holding corn seeds in one hand and as many seedling potatoes as she could hold for planting in the other. And as she followed her mother, 
she'd drop one small bit of potato in one hole on one side and one seed of corn in one hole on the other. And that's what the family would have to do every year, never wasting anything in order to make sure each could produce one plant that in turn might produce a decent harvest for the main food staple, which my mamma, her three brothers and two sisters, along with her mother and her father, and probably a few extended family members would have to eat to stay alive in that small house she tells me about that was on the side of a mountain. And she always says that they would share with other families, especially the poorer ones that lived nearby, if there could have been any poorer than hers. Even if it caused them to have less, they would find a way to share. And I suspect that was because someone had probably shared with them when they were struggling all those years as well. That was the one way you survived in those very hard times in that part of the country. And all these many years later, as much as my mamma has forgotten everything that happened a few months ago, she still remembers that story as if it happened yesterday. As I was flying back on that plane last night, I was thinking about that story my mamma has told me as I read again the parable Jesus presents to all of us this Sunday morning out of Matthew's Gospel. I was thinking about it because even though Jesus is coming from a very different angle and describing a rich man who leaves a large sum of money with his slaves, Jesus, I think, could have easily used the story of a very poor family being given a collection of seeds to plant. Certainly the same expectation would be intended for both the slaves and those poor gardeners to take what they've been given and to do something more plentiful with it, to take what they have and make it grow for the good of themselves and their families, for the good of the land manager, and ultimately for the good of others in whom they would share. In the story Jesus is telling, the slaves this morning are presented with a sizable amount of money. That was known in Jesus' time as a talent, which was 15 years worth of earnings for the average person all those thousands of years ago. Or I've been told the equivalency of about 50 pounds of gold or silver. That would still be a pretty darn good amount of wealth even today. And the three servants are given the talents, one five, one two, and one one, by a property owner to take care of while he is away on some distant journey. When he returns, he finds that the first servant has taken his five talents and somehow reinvested them, adding five additional talents to the master's earnings. The second servant has done the same, taking his two talents and somehow doubling them to the master's full joy and approval. Both of these servants, Jesus says, are honored by their master because of what they've done. And in turn, the master puts them in charge of many things, and they are invited to enter fully into the joy of their master's house. But the third slave, we are told, was too afraid to do anything with the one talent that he had been given. And so we are told he buries it away, and he only has that one talent when the master finally reappears. Now, we all know this was a conservative, 
safe approach because there was always the chance the servant could have lost the entire talent altogether and it did not really belong to him in the first place. And he absolutely seems to think that this is what the master would expect him to do, being a harsh man as the slave claims the master to be. But it becomes quite clear that the slave has misunderstood the actions of the master altogether because the master ends up being enraged by the slave's conservative, fearful decision to hide that one talent away. And so Jesus says the master cast that wicked and lazy slave out into the outer darkness. Now to read this from a totally economic, business-oriented perspective would be a bit paradoxical and confusing for sure. And maybe, just maybe, that was what Jesus' intent and purpose was in the first place. We must remember that this is one of Jesus' parables. And parables are parables because they always contain something that throws you off and doesn't exactly fit with the story. In this case, Jesus was never intending really to talk about business or economics. Rather, Jesus is discussing and describing the spiritual life of our faith. For in faith, the entire purpose of the good news is not ever storing it away. The purpose is to take the gospel of Jesus and grow it, sharing it with everyone we meet and doubling the return in souls coming to Jesus and having the opportunity to enter the joys of the kingdom of God with all of God's people. To simply take the good news of your Christian faith and hide it away without sharing it is the absolute opposite of God's intention in sending Jesus Christ in the first place to live amongst us, to die on the cross, and to then rise again, defeating death, not just for himself, but for all of his disciples who follow him. Going back to that old story my grandmother told me really just a little over 24 hours ago, the benefit of the seeds and the seedling potatoes was the same thing, never to simply store away for the family. They had to be planted so that they could grow as a good crop to not only feed the family, but to also produce more that could be shared with those who had less in that impoverished mountain community. This growing and sharing is what held the family and the community together in a time when money was hard to come by and food couldn't just be bought from a grocery store. And God's gift of fruit and vegetables and any food item brought people closer to their deep faith and to each other and made them never ever question where life and hope comes from for us. It always comes first from God. And that's the core and heart of our Christian faith. And this, brothers and sisters, is still the message for you and me in the church in this world that desperately needs the good news to be shared perhaps more now than ever before. The generation of our grandparents, which they came from, as you probably know, was never ever ashamed to talk about and share their faith. And they were always as ready to share their faith as they were to try and share the food from their tables. In our day and time, we have become a culture and a people very afraid to talk about the God we believe in or the church that we attend or the way our lives have been shaped by Christ. 
I hate to say that the fear to share our religion, brothers and sisters, is the very same as that servant who buried their talent in the ground. God has given us this wonderful, life-changing, death-defeating good news. And God's given it to us in great abundance so that we can share it with others. Truthfully, your faith in Jesus can never fully grow and expand within you as it should until you find a way to give it to someone else. Maybe that means inviting someone to church or telling them why in the mess this world is in right now, you and your family still have some hope to hold on to through Jesus. Maybe that means getting out, putting on your mask if that's what you have to do, and getting your hands dirty in planting through outreach for the church and for your community. Maybe that means sharing food with people who are hungry, and not just hungry for food you eat, but God's word that comes to us and feeds us. Maybe you should invite them to join you at your table, break bread with them together, and pray with them. If we as a church start doing that and stop hiding the light that sustains us in our gospel faith, then and only then will we all really be able to understand the way Jesus closes his parable today. When he says those tricky words which run like this, for to all those who have, more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. God's love and and sustenance is incredible, but it will only grow for us as Christ's disciples in as much as we are willing to take it and share it and give it to others, to grow it not just for ourselves or for our church, but for the whole world. Amen.